Looking to the end of life to help shape our now of life. Welcome to The Restless Midlifer, the podcast for those of us looking to rediscover the adventure in life. Find out more at restlessmidlifer.com. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of The Restless Midlifer. Now today we have an interview with Carolyn Hobdy, who amongst other things is an author and a specialist in working with people who are in that midlife phase, particularly with women. Carolyn has an amazing story, um, some really ups, real big ups and downs, and is shares some of those experiences. Now we don't go into them all, so we're really worth reading her books, don't want to steal the thunder from the books, but we do delve into some of the challenges that she faced, the lessons she's learned, and how she helps individuals now. Now, navigate that shift in identity that we often find ourselves in when we're when we're coming to terms with midlife and the, and what that means. You know the changes that are thrust upon us in life and the changes that we want to make with our life. And the there is a, a reference to an exercise that Carolyn uses in her coaching, which is to write your eulogy. Consider what your eulogy would be as if life were now. You know, if if you were to be at your own funeral and nothing was to change. Or versus what would you like your eulogy to be? And I think that's a really useful exercise. Might sound a bit negative, and some of you might remember that I did a shorter episode, a good few episodes back on, are you building your eulogy or resume? And what's the value in focusing more on the eulogy than the resume when shaping our lives? But I think it's a really useful exercise, despite it might sound a bit negative. It's really useful to to look forward, as well as reflecting back, as I did in the episode with Jeff Nicholson, to look forward and project forward and say, you know, if things carry on, the way they do, this is what I'm likely to, well, I wouldn't hear it because it's my funeral, but this is what is likely to be said about me and this is who's likely to be here. Such a great exercise to help you get the impact of why making changes is so important and how then we can make those changes. So anyway, I'm not going to waffle on anymore. On with the interview and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Before we get into the episode, hop over to therestlessmidlifer.com to register your commitment to living a restless midlife and get an early heads up to the courses, resources and forthcoming Restless Midlifer community. I'm planning programs and events to support you in rekindling the spirit of the restless midlife, reintroducing the adventurous spirit into your life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Restless Midlifer. And we have another interview. And today we've got Karen Hobday, uh, who is a midlife specialist, an author and a, a media consultant. Is that the right term there, Carolyn, for that? Um, media commentator. Me- media commentator. I knew I'd get one of them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, this is this is the perfect area for us to talk about for The Restless Midlifer. So rather than me try to hash uh, an introduction, why not hand over to you to say hi and tell me a bit about yourself tell the audience a bit about yourself Hmm. and what brought you to where you are now sure um so thank you for having me on um always really excited to talk about uh this area of my work uh so yeah i spent um all nearly 25 years working in hr uh, so I was a, an HR director, um, a statutory board director um, in a couple of different businesses. I worked for some very notable um, big corporations, um, um, some very you know world-renowned brands, and um, yeah, I, I had a. I, I guess my life imploded um, in the middle of 2018, and um, from there it sort of led 
um, me down a route of realizing that I wanted to do something different. I didn't step away from corporate life um, until March 2020 um, after that. So it took a little bit of time to decide what I wanted to do and put the bits in place um, to do that. But I stepped away from my corporate career. And, and as I always describe it, I had got very tired of trying to persuade grown-ups to behave properly um, because that seemed to be the bulk of my career. And dare I say it, trying to persuade grown-up men, mostly in the environments that I worked in, um, to behave properly. And I just needed some time out. And that's not to say that I don't love HR, because I do. It's not to say that I didn't love aspects of corporate life, because I did. But I would just burnt out, really, mm. um, emotionally, I think, more than anything. And I decided to step away. And I wrote um, – I've written some books. So I've published um, – two books um, that I've written. I've co-authored a third book and um, my next book is due out in the next couple of months. Um, uh, so, which is really exciting. So I just decided that I wanted to take what had been a very interesting personal life actually um, in the first instance and talk about that and share that. And in time also as well, sharing some of the behind the scenes um, of my corporate life as well. So really just embracing that midlife um, area and kind of going, this is a point when we can potentially lose who we are. And I definitely lost who I was um, for a number of different reasons, which I'm sure we'll, we'll go into um, as we, as we carry on talking, but um, yeah, I, I set about rediscovering who I was um, in that midlife period for me and decided that I wanted to go out and help other people to do the same. Oh, the Lord's in there. Thanks. Thanks. Carol. Very, <laughs> very succinct for what sounds like a, a, a real journey there. Um, yeah. Just b- before we do, would you just give us a shout out to your books? We will put links in show notes and things for those, but just give us a shout out early on. And uh... Yeah. Is it all right if I swear? Because there's swear words in my books. Yeah. Go on. All right. Um, so my, my first book is my memoir. And that's called All the Twats I Met Along the Way. <laughs> and um, it started out being um, a single book, but has turned into a Twats trilogy. So the book that is about to come out um, in the next couple of months is the second book of that trilogy. And that's called Detwat Your Life. So it's the kind of journey out from my place of twatishness um, in my life. And um, so, and it's a kind of how-to guide in terms of turning up um, as unapologetically you. So that's the second book. And the third book of that trilogy will be Twats at Work, but I, I've yet to write that one. Um, and that will be a real behind the scenes look at, at my corporate career. Um, in between, um, so after I wrote All the Twats I Met Along the Way and published that, um, I wrote a shorter book. It's a self-help book, um, probably a bit more female-centric, um, and that's called Redefining Selfish, No Guilt, No Regrets. Um, and again, that's a, that's my selfish model. So selfish um, is like a seven-letter uh, model that I have. Each letter stands for something, and um, it's got practical. It's actually practical tips to prioritize yourself, um, both sort of in your head and and with things to do um so that's the next book and then the um the book that i uh, contributed to as a co-author of was a fantastic project actually um it was a book for teenage girls so it's called the everyday girl's guide to living in truth um self-love and acceptance um and i wrote a chapter for that and that's 15 different women um from all around the world actually um who have written a book specifically for um, 13 to 19 year old girls and it's all really about confidence body confidence and really how to navigate 
um, life um, from the point of view of a teenage girl. So, um, yeah, really exciting project. Wow, awesome! There's a lot of lot of books there. Okay, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of writing gone on there, and, and as a as a writer, by no means as as um, prolific as you, um, I'm kind of interested in that side. But let's kind of wind it back a little bit then, because mm. there's lo- loads that I like to pick out here. Um, when you say stepped away from the role and, and the, the burnout that you experienced, could you talk us through a little bit about that? Because I think this is something that many of us experience. And obviously, I'm a man, so I haven't experienced it from a, a woman's perspective or a female perspective. But I think it's something that many of us can experience. And it's how we then come to terms with it. And some of us will do what you've done. Mm. perhaps do what I've done others will maybe not take that path and almost shut it down or find other ways because it doesn't necessarily mean leave yeah. your job does it does you know, no. talk, talk through no. that um I think for me um like I said you know I had sort of had a kind of a catastrophic um event in the middle of 2018 um um, bizarrely, it was a Friday the 13th, um, which it couldn't have been, you know, any better um, planned. But um, I'd been in a job that actually I really loved. Um, I loved where I worked. I, I'd built the most amazing team um, in terms of like my function. Um, but, you know, some of the leadership in there was getting more and more out of control, um, more... Um, psychopathic um i have to say that really it's that's exactly how i describe it um quite machiavellian um in some areas so um and it was very difficult and i actually was the only person that was really standing up to it and obviously inevitably um i got removed um and so i i got ousted from a job that i i loved um even though the wider organization knew um this one, one particular individual but a couple of individuals were behaving really badly but as is ever the case the easiest thing to do was to get rid of me um in that so um so I'd lost my job um and um my partner had said to me you know we we were in the process of selling our house we'd sold our house and we were going through that selling process and he'd said to me no don't worry about it you know don't worry about financially you know you'll look for something else and all the rest of it and then um sort of 10 days into uh, you know, that sort of, I was devastated um, by the work stuff. Um, he got up one morning and he walked into the bedroom and said, um, this is over. Um, when the house sells, we go in our different directions and you'll never see my children again. So within that 10 day period, I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost my partner and I lost my stepchildren um, all in the space of 10 days. And for me, you know, and I've been, re- I'm, you know, I, I like to speak, you know, honestly and openly about this and, and it features, does feature in my book, but I, I reached the point of suicide um, on the back of that. And thankfully, um, I had a very good friend of mine who um, rescued me um, is, is the best way to put it. And, you know, it, it was, you know, as you'd imagine, it was a real watershed moment um, in in my life in the sense that my entire life had just been raised to the ground. Everything, everything that gave me my sense of identity, or so I thought, you know, my job, the house, the cars, the holidays, the partner, the, the children, you know, all of those tick boxes we have of, of what we think success looks like. Um, I could tick every single one of those and then suddenly all of them were gone. And I didn't know who I was. And it was really a moment where the way I describe it is that actually over, a, over decades, my life had been trying to teach me this lesson. Um, I'd had a number of toxic relationships. Um, 
and life had been trying to teach me a lesson and I hadn't heeded that lesson. And I think that, you know, whatever it is that you believe in, you know, the universe, what we know, whatever, whether we manifest it ourselves, you know, however you think of it, I don't, I'm not really precious about any of it, but it, it I, the world decided to teach me one massive lesson because I had to sit up and take notice. And it was at that point that I then had to start looking at and picking back through how had I got there? Now, I'm, I don't for a minute ever say that I'm responsible for some of the things that other people did to me and the ways that they treated me or behaved towards it. I am not responsible for that, but I am absolutely 100% responsible for allowing some of that and allowing particularly in, in my personal life people to stay in my life that shouldn't have been allowed to, they shouldn't have had a place there, um, shouldn't have been allowed to stay. And I, I was responsible for that. And that's the bit that I had to sort of pick back through and go, there are decisions I've made that have led me to this point um, in my life. And so, like I said, it wasn't an immediate sort of overnight thing. Um, and like you say, for me, it happened to be that I left corporate world, but I went back into it because whilst I went off, I did a whole ton of work on myself and understanding my identity um, and who I was and what I wanted but it took time then for that to percolate through. So what I set about doing is I started, I was buying a new house. Um, I'd got myself a new car. I got myself another big corporate job. Um, I was back on the dating scene, you know, thinking. So I was back ticking all of those boxes again, because I absolutely thought if I ticked all those boxes, that was what happiness and success looked like. Um, it means everybody that had been amazing in my world and had supported me, but also worried about me, could cease to be worried because I'd be sorted. And I was, you know, very close to putting all of those things back in place. I'd started the big corporate job. Um, I was in the process of buying a house, um, you know, all of those things. And I started to get this like terrible sort of nagging doubt, this sort of really uneasy feeling. And I... And I thought it was to do with money. You know, I thought I'm buying this quite, you know, this big house and I'm doing this now on my own. Um, you know, it's all a bit scary. But I went back through all the numbers and thought, but the numbers all add up. It's fine. I can afford to do this. Um, but the, the nagging feeling didn't go away. And it was actually within a text exchange with um my best friend and we all need that friend don't we that asks us the questions that we don't want to be asked but we really need to be asked yeah. um and I was having a text exchange with her and out of note she asked me a question and out of nowhere I texted back and sorry I'm going to swear again but um I texted back and said I just don't want to do this fucking shit anymore and to be honest I was sitting in my office at work I was two months maybe three at most into this new job and I sat there at my desk for a minute and thought, what the hell is that about? Like, because it just sort of came from nowhere, but it was absolutely the truth. And for me, it was that realization that if this is sort of the rest of my life, you know, and I think that happens to us in, you know, quite a lot of us kind of in our mid forties of like, I don't know if I just want the next, however many years that I've got left to just look like this. Um, that, you know, I've probably got another 20 years of working um, and it's just this same stuff. It's going to be progressively bigger and bigger jobs, but the same stuff. And I just realized that this, you know, I talk all the time now in my work about whose definition of success 
is that because actually it's society's definition of success that if you've got all of those things, you've made it. But actually, that if you haven't determined what that success, you know, what success means for you, you're just ticking somebody else's boxes and somebody else's wish list. And I know, and I think the worst thing is when you have all of those things, maybe to a greater or lesser extent, you know, um, in terms of how much you're earning or how big your house is or whatever. But if you have all those boxes ticked, um, I think it's really hard then to put your hand up and or stick your head above the parapet in life and go, this isn't making me happy. Because society kind of tells you, doesn't it, that if you've ticked all of those boxes, you've made it and you haven't got any reason to, you know, be unhappy and actually, it's massively ungrateful if you go, actually, I, I don't like this. It's not working for me. And so that's why, like you said, I think a lot of people just stay on that treadmill. They push those feelings down. Um, you know, for some people, and again, I say this with no judgment because I've, you know, I've, I've not lived a blameless life. Um, and anybody that reads, certainly, you know, all the twats will know that, you know, I was the twat in my own life, um, you know, on, on several occasions. I'm not, I, I didn't write that book to make myself look good and other people look bad. I wrote it as a very raw, honest account um, of my life. But, you know, some people will go off and have an affair because they, they just need something that makes them feel alive again or distracted, or they might have another child with their partner, because again, it's just a little bit of something new and variety. You might change jobs, but but actually it's just the same shit, the different location, you know, people will do things, but uh, you know, all of that is about sort of pushing it down. And, and I guess for me, you know, not least, you know, and I get, again, you know, I think it happens to a lot of people when they maybe have quite a significant health issue that that's when they sort of reassess things or they lose somebody that they love. Um, but for me, you know, I nearly lost myself. I, I, you know, I, I nearly lost my life. And it was just that wake up call that went, actually, what do I want this life to stand for? You know, I'm enormously grateful that that didn't happen. But actually, I now need to do something that means that my life has a purpose. And so what I talk about in my work and in my um, uh, in my self uh, model that I now have, <clears throat> the F in that in that in the self model um, is for fulfillment, because actually, that's what I talk about. What is it that makes you fulfilled? And I think that we shy away from that because sometimes the answer is quite difficult, isn't it? It's quite difficult to get to. Um, but what makes us feel fulfilled? And I think that for me then became about I need to do something different. And it took me a year. You know, it took me another year before I left that corporate job. But in the meantime, I didn't buy the house I was buying because I, I met my uh, who became my coach. Um, and he said to me, he was really brutal with me, but in a, in a kind way, but said what needs to be said. And he said to me, Carolyn, you're buying a family home and you don't have and you never will have a family. And that might sound really harsh, but you know what? He wasn't saying anything other than the truth. I wasn't able to have children. That's part of my, my story. Um, you know, so I was buying a five bedroom, five bathroom family home but only because society said you've got the big job with the big money and therefore that's the kind of house you should live in. Um, and I totally pared that back and um, started making some very different decisions. So, you know, ends up living somewhere much smaller. I now live in an apartment, um, you know, bought a, a cheaper car, whatever. As I started over that year, pairing my life back so that I then gave myself options in terms of what I could do going forward. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, there's so much I want to pick out there. The, the last thing you said there about was giving yourself options, I think is a really important part. I've ju- I just interviewed, um, and depending on timing, it may be the, previ- the, the previous interview, uh, Pete Matthew, who's the podcaster host of Meaningful Money. Uh, and he's a financial consultant. And we talked about this as well, because it is from that perspective of how life, he calls it lifestyle creep. You yes. know, you might get in creep, uh, but it's that lifestyle creep that is almost thoughtless or dictated by other influences, you know, the expectations. And one of the things that I think, <clears throat> I think it's so important that when you say this, who, who says is a phrase that I always have in my own head. And mm-hmm. when I talk to people, who says? Yeah. And that could be anything, you know, whether the world should be this or whatever, but also your lifestyle. Yeah. And I often, I think the conversations that I'm most fascinated with when I talk to people is the stuff behind, you know, mm-hmm. oh, I've moved house and a bit. Yeah, that's lovely. But I want to know you, you know, what motivates yeah. you as the person? Because mm-hmm. how many of us are doing this? And yet, despite there's a small voice or a something there that we've we've crushed down or just sort of adapted to be more manageable and quiet in, mm. in our life. And actually, have we really looked at what matters to us? And you've, yeah. you've said a few times there, your identity, who I was, I didn't know who I was, you know, and, you know, that process of doing the work is a slow process, isn't it? It can be. I mean, it, it took a series of horrible things to happen to you. Yeah. To really, to do that. And I think one of the things for me is there's a, there's, there's a message of hope there. Because mm. I often think, you know, the quicker you lose yourself is the is you know is the 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 time you can start finding yourself for real, you know. Yeah. Um, and sometimes life happens, or you work it out in a slower way. Mm. You had the misfortune, I guess, or I don't know how you p- perceive it now, but it was pretty much a, a good smack around the head by the sounds of the head and the heart. Yeah, um, and it's um, but it, but you're right, and and I I don't see it as a misfortune. Mm. Um, you know, I have I've I've had some really difficult stuff happen to me in my life, and that's you know that's um why I wrote the book and 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 is what what's detailed in the book. And um, but I I am totally grateful for all of that stuff, and it was immensely hard at the time, mm. and my life isn't perfect now. In fact, I was talking to somebody this morning and said, actually, you know, 2018, which is when that um, all happened, you know, was, as the Queen once put it, my anus cerebris, um, without a doubt. But actually 2021 was came a close second, actually, for, for me personally, for, for a number of different reasons. Immense highs um, and some, you know, in, immense lows as well. And, you know, but I am always, always grateful because no matter what happens, I learn something from it. It pushes me in a different direction. And all of that stuff made me who I am today. And the difference now since 2018 is I like who I am today. I'm not perfect. I'm not the finished article. I will always continue to evolve. But the one thing, and again, back to my best friend, she always used to say to me, but first and foremost, you need to learn to love yourself. And I can absolutely honestly say prior to 2018 and then that, you know, starting the process of understanding who I was, I had no idea what she meant. I didn't love myself and I couldn't understand what it was that she was saying. Um, And then I went away and did a, you know, a whole bunch of work and learned some stuff. And like you say, it took time, but I like who I am today. I'm really comfortable with who I am today. Um, Even though that person's got imperfections and, you know, there's still work to do. I am the current best version of myself. Yeah, I love that. So there's a couple of things that you you said that the work on yourself, what, 
of the work because we know it, but there's an organic part to it when i'm coaching people it, it isn't the session necessarily it's what happens after and then it's life that happens mm. but it's having a few tools or certain things in the kit that help you through that the things mm. that happen and it's a combination yeah. what over that period of time would you say what exercises or activities or things that you did particularly mm. helped so there's an exercise that i did that i now do in a in a different form so i'll tell you what it is that i now do in the work that i do um so i sort of took well probably a number of different things actually and i sort of developed it into to an exercise that um i now do um within my work um and it's actually in um the next book that's coming out so detwat your life it turns up in there as an exercise and um what i actually get people to do is um to write their eulogy so i get them to write two versions of their eulogy so i do a visualization exercise which is about absolutely immersing yourself so in the first instance um you you know you are immersing yourself in um you know it's your funeral and it doesn't matter what age you are how it's come about whatever none of that's important but actually is to to create in your mind you know where you are in terms of you know if your funeral was to take place and nothing in your life had changed from what it was today um or the life you've lived so far like who would be there where would it be um but more than anything it's about tuning in about what gets said because you're you know nobody in in the eulogy goes they had a really big house they had three cars and two holidays a year you know nobody says that do they in a eulogy they talk about who you were and the impact that you made and who was around you um so it's about writing that eulogy based on nothing changing in your life then unsurprisingly i get people to then visualize okay what's the eulogy that you want to have what's what do you want to be said um about you and about your impact and about your life and again also they get them to immerse themselves in where does this take place who is there listening who is reading it out because is it the same person that read it out the first time the people you know inevitably kind of sitting in the front row are they the same people are you surrounded by the same people if you had absolutely the life that you wanted to have because dare i say it so often you know and i know you know it's different for different people and people find the one or you know whatever absolutely fine but so often we stay in the wrong relationship with the wrong people um but again that second eulogy is all about what is it that you would want to be said about your life um and i think it really brought it home for me because actually it was it was actually in 2019 um my step grandmother died she she got to the age of 90 and um she died and i can remember what really hit home which is why it really became a part of one of the, the toolkits that i now use with people and um in my work is obviously went to her funeral and listened to uh, in fact there were there were two um two people st- stood up and spoke about her but my god if somebody said even 10% about my life what they said about hers and it was all absolutely right you know who she was the impact she had the amazing thing she did i mean you know she was blazing a trail dare i say it for women you know um you know back back then and you know and i i i honestly sat and i thought oh my word you know things also things i didn't know about her and stuff and and you just sit there and think wow I want people to be standing up and saying that kind of stuff um about me. So that's what I try and get people to do and I have to say for me 
all sorts of other tools and techniques, but that one in particular, because that's the one that goes, okay, we, for most of us, all things being equal, we'll reach an old age. For most of it, you know, we don't know when and how, you know, um, the end of our life is going to happen. But actually, whether we've got a day, a week, a year, several decades, we have the opportunity to shape what that eulogy sounds like. And it's getting people to go, like, I, I have a choice in that. I have a choice in what gets said and what happens from here on in. And it doesn't matter what's gone before or who I've been or how I've behaved or what I have or what I don't have. I now have a choice going forward because let's face it, all things being equal. Again, when somebody stands up and reads that eulogy, they're mostly going to be talking about, you know, that latter part of your life and and those things. So, you know, it's, it's that, and it's, it's seeing that that means that we have a choice in how we live our lives going forward and who we are. Mm. That's a very powerful exercise. I remember in one of the earlier episodes, I talked about, are you working towards a, a, a resume or a eulogy? And I think yeah. it's that shift, isn't it? To think, well, what are you, mm-hmm. what are you trying to build? And I think as a midlifer, that's the sort of thing that we, that if we don't confront it consciously in a constructive way, it's, yeah. it, it, it simmers away, chews away, whatever, you know, inside. And, and that's where we can do things like just, just, shut it up silence as you say act out do do mm. silly reckless things whatever or or drink to numb it which was you know yeah. certainly something that i imbibed in. and you you made me think well, actually probably a bit of a, a, a downer in one respect but i remember going to my dad's funeral he died in 2015 alone drunk in a flat an alcoholic um and i remember going to his funeral and there was four people there mm. and i remember thinking you know that that fellow was very talented had a lot a yeah. lot of gifts yeah. But for whatever reason, and I, you know, I'll never know because I didn't particularly have a relationship with him. He chose to, for me, in my view, to hide, hide all of that, mm-hmm. to live his life looking down, looking into a glass or a bottle, you know. And I just, I just remember that feeling of, that is just what a waste. Yeah. And, and I think that that you know, as tough as it is, life is a gift. And I, again, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that you believe in and. Um, you know, I, I think it's irrelevant, but, um, and I had this, conver- again, I had this conversation with somebody um, only on the weekend, actually, I was, I was lucky enough um, to, to be out for the day with a gentleman and whose wife um, passed away um, prematurely, sort of, a, a, you know, in, in sort of in normal lifespan terms, um, just over a year ago, and we were talking about that, um, you know, and, and I said to him, I said, but the thing is, you now have a responsibility to go out and live the life that she didn't get the chance to live because it's very easy, isn't it? When we lose somebody we love and we're devastated and we're heartbroken and all of that is really normal, but it is actually then about saying how fortunate am I that I actually get to carry on living um, and, you know, to then go out and go, actually, I'm, I'm going to go the places and see the things that that person maybe would have wanted to have seen and would have wanted to have done. Mm. Um, and you're right, you know, from your point of view with your father, for example, yeah, tragic that he, you know, he sort of wasted his life, wasted his talents, you know, died in the way that he did. But actually the really positive out of that is that it's given you a lens and a perspective through which to see life that means actually you're going out and embracing it and, and living differently as a result. 
Yeah, and this brings me to, there's a couple of ways that I wanted to go. I'm, I'll see if I can remember to come back to that. This brings me to, I think, the role as a, as a midlifer who becomes that restless midlifer for me, that, that person who starts to listen to that inner voice and what have you, and constructively look at it. Because, you know, as you say, we can shut it down and act out and do things and permission to be human. We're all, we're all capable. I've, I've certainly been no angel. But there's also an opportunity to look at these things and to reflect on them as an opportunity to live for yourself, but also adopt a bit of a leadership role. And I'm, that's, you know, that's a phrase that can mean a lot of things. But, you know, for me, the, the lesson that I took away from my dad was what a waste, but also, and I took away this long, many years before um, he passed away, was I will never be that dad and I'm not going to yeah. be that dad to my kids. And I think despite maybe previous examples, good ones, some have marvellous parents and what have you. It's about how do we help the other people for you, for you the writing of the book for the 16 to 19 year old girls, for me, my kids, and, you know, I've certainly not been perfect in any of that, but, and, and younger people to help them navigate what is a challenge in life and to understand that they will at some point lose themselves. And yeah. that actually potentially that, well, I would say that's a good thing because how much of that is about rediscovering the real you? Yeah. My kids grew up and they shaped their identity because of my parenting, par you know, the parents, the school and all of that. And we form this identity. And then when you realize that that's not really you or it's an aspect of you. And I think very few of us actually are, you know, have that life where we truly are ourselves from start to finish. No. I, I don't know if I've actually met anybody thinking about it, but no. that, that shedding of that, the sooner we do that, and I have these conversations with my son, Thomas, he's 24. Um, and I often say to him, because he's, he's not, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up type of thing. And I'm, I'm still in that board. But I often say, you've got <laughs> yeah. 25 years ahead of me, play. You know, that, yeah. you know, play, identity play, just play and explore that. Mm -hmm. And as, and the opportunity we have, I like to think, is that opportunity to be a little bit more of a, the leadership role or mentor, you know, however you want to play it. Uh, yeah. And I, and I, again, I talk about that um, in the work I do. I actually talk about it um, in redefining selfish um, is where I first um, mm. sort of wrote about it. And again, it comes up in um, it, it will come up in Detwat your life when that's published is this idea of sometimes we do struggle to do stuff for ourselves, but actually if you can be a role model to somebody else, um, you know, what is the role model you want to be? And it doesn't have to be that you're, it's a parent child thing. It can be for people you work with. It can be a role model for friends. It could be even people you don't know, you know, like for, for us, when we're doing podcasts or talks, whatever, we've never met these people. We sort of know who they are and probably where they are in their lives. But, you know, and, and, and I think role modeling is really powerful because there's definitely a thing in, in probably all of us that says, you know, we will, we find it easier to break a promise to ourselves than we do to break a promise to somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So if you find a somebody else that you want to make a promise to in terms of how you're going to behave, who you're going to be, you know, um, what, you know, what are the things that you're going to do and achieve, find that somebody else who it matters to you, um, that you are that role model and then do it for them because you will find it much harder to break that promise than you would if it was you, because we make excuses for ourselves in our own heads. Mm -hmm. um, but for somebody else, you feel held to account. And, and actually the, the dedication 
um, and redefining selfish for me is is actually to to my niece um, and nephew. Um, and I put for my niece Charlotte and my nephew George, you inspire me to be a better version of myself every day, so that I might one day inspire you. Mm. Um, and that for me is my driver. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. It's powerful, isn't it? Because yes, you've got to do it for yourself, mm. but stepping up and and being or seeing yourself as that role model, being that person. It's a powerful, powerful yeah. force in your life, isn't it? Because I guess, you know, thinking back, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing or where I am if I hadn't sort of thought, that's not who I want to be for my kids or for, you know. Um, yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's a really challenging thing. And this is why I guess where it can be a bit complicated, I guess, for some people in the sense that, well, I'm working hard. You know, I'm, I've got this salary and I've got that and I'm putting my kids through university. I'm doing it for them. Mm. And in doing it for them, they are shutting down part of their yeah. own needs. And I totally understand that. I totally get it. Yeah. It's not, as you say, it's not oh. about being judgmental. No, it's about recognising how can we, how could we within the ecology of our life mm. claim a sense of ourselves in that and rediscover the identity? Because mm. that's where the adventure and the excitement lives for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and you're right. I mean, and again, it's that difficult thing, isn't it, of, you know, and again, I have conversations with people where they're like, well, I need to do this for another five years. Um, so whilst I put my kids through school, da, 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 da. And, and I had a, exactly that conversation just before Christmas um, with somebody. And I said, but five years of you feeling like this and being this exhausted and burnt out, where the hell are you going to be in five years time if you keep doing this like you're doing it? And I think that is, it's, it's a really difficult balance because you're right. I can't sit there and go, pack your job in. Don't worry about it. You know, you, you can't do that because you do have responsibilities and you're right. You know, that lifestyle creep is like we, we develop a life that's, you know, commensurate with, you know, the, our earnings and our income. And because again, that's what society expects us to do. Um, you know, you get a bigger job or you get a bigger house. Um, and, you know, so uh, absolutely, you can't just flick a switch and go, do you know what? I'm packing it all in. And like I said, for me, it took over a year and I wasn't even ready at that point, but kind of an opportunity presented itself. And I thought, right, OK, this is the moment where I'm going to have to just sort of, you know, step away and and um, and, and go for it. And um, but I suppose at the very least, it is about taking that time to understand who you are, what you want, and then start making a plan. Because it isn't a let's just, you know, rip the carpet out from under myself all in one go. But at least if we're making a plan of this is what I want it to look like at that point. So like you say, you can start pairing back maybe financially or structuring your finances differently or making a plan in terms of going, do you know what, you know, when child number one moves out let's move to a slightly smaller house um then do you know what i mean and start making those plans and being deliberate about that and and saying you know because the thing that makes me the most sad is those people that kind of you know work themselves like mad with a view to well it's okay because i'll kind of rest and i'll do all the nice stuff in life when i've retired mm. and then how many of us know that a people that never make it b don't have much retirement before they, before they, you know, pass away or, you know, become ill in the intervening period. And that retirement never turns into what they imagined it. And let's face it, you want to be going out and doing stuff in your life whilst you're fit and healthy. 
um, you know, and not when you're when the only thing on offer is saga holidays and insurance that you can barely afford, you know, because you're old. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that's not a life, is it? No, I, well, this is this is where I, th- I think there's a number of questions that we can combine. I remember I, I asking the question in one of the podcast episodes is what if you what what if you don't do it? Yeah. And it was one of those striking things where I thought, you know, if I could, as you said, if I continue in the police doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not happy, not fulfilled, stressed, not just take caring too much, all of that kind of thing. Where will I be in five years? What state will I be in in terms of my health? And it and who am I doing it for? Yeah, okay, I'm doing it. I'll be doing it in one respect for the kids, but is that what they would want? Yeah. No, they and do also, they what really are you teaching want to them? know that. Yeah, yeah. And what are you teaching them by doing that? Because actually, all you're doing is that they will become carbon copies of you in your life. Yeah. And I think the exact and it, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And and to be an example, it goes back to that role modeling, the example. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. For myself, I don't want to look back and think I wish I had and and etc. And I also would like to have that spirit of adventure stay and and or rekindled in my kids if they've already if they've already stuffed it down. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that's really important to to sort of combine those questions. But the other side of it is to there's almost like a Pandora's box element to it that if you, there's a fear that if you start to look, you can't stop because once you start to surface it, and this is, this is the, this is the uncomfortable bit, you know, it's sometimes easier to keep the box shut, keep it stuffed down than to start. Cause once you start, it's very difficult to stop. Yeah. Um, And somebody said to me, once you've thought a thought, you can't unthink it. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be terrifying. Mm, from my own personal experience having said that and this goes back to something you said at the beginning is having gone through it i realized that that disorientating dilemma as as the literature and coaching would talk about it is is the start of something exciting and it's looking back on and thinking actually those disorientating dilemmas those experiences or just feelings Mm. they now signal potential a new adventure yeah but back then you don't see it that way and and you said something about you you needed to be rescued and I think this is just just very kind of important to cover off this thing that we're not talking about trivial changes here. we're talking about impacts that can have some dramatic effects on the you as the person and that sometimes you do need that help you need to ask for help or be rescued and, and what have you yeah and the um in my selfish model so I've got the I've got the self framework which is much more detailed but the selfish model um, in redefining selfish is kind of that first dipping your toe in the water. So rather than like, oh, let's all rip it all up. It's just about saying, let's make a bit of a shift in mindset here in terms of seeing myself as a priority. Um, you know, and, 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 and I think a lot of people do it, but I would say that women in particular um, are sort of um, bought up and, you know, have that mindset of, of they always have to sort of subjugate their own needs for everybody else's, you know, it's that nurturing type thing. And um, so hence why the book is, is more female centric, but um, you know, it's redefining selfish is about, you know, just that dipping the toe in the water, just trying a bit of a shift in your mindset, a little, a few practical things you can do that again, are not going to entirely rock your world, but it's just going to start to shift how you feel about yourself and, and, and the attention that you pay to yourself. And interestingly, from what you've said, the H in the selfish model is for help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about that in terms of um, our attitude to asking for help. 
um, but also as well how to successfully ask for help because a lot of our attitude towards help is that we think we'll get rejected. Well, actually, asking for help is a skill and it's a skill that we can develop. Anybody can develop it. And I've just give a few simple hints and tips in there to go to get to be more likely to get a yes then do these few things in terms of asking for help. But also I cover off in there, when help is offered, here's some things to think about and sort of get your head around in terms of accepting the help. Because the other thing we're not great at doing is accepting help. Um, Sometimes even if we've asked for it, it then comes along and we go, oh, no, no, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Fine. And we only get part of the help that we actually needed. So I so help is, you know, and I I talk so much. And in fact, I was um, writing something yesterday because I do a a radio slot um, every week. And I was writing something yesterday about exactly that of saying, you know, we are not designed to go through life on our own. It is not a solitary journey. Um, at all because none of us would exist today if like back you know millions and billions of years ago you know early man hadn't have learned to work together because they just never would have survived you know we wouldn't have procreated but also would have been eaten by the predators and that would have been the end of that so you know it's asking for help accepting help knowing that you can't do it by yourself that's absolutely fine. And that's that's sort of almost like the first fundamental lesson mm. um, is that it isn't something that you you do, you know, with nobody else around you. Yeah. I think it's important that, that the, it, it, it isn't just important in the sense of it's a feeling and we've evolved to be working in communities. There's a, there's a physiological and a psychological and emotional evolutionary drive there because to be on your own would mean you're at a higher risk of, well everything basically and you have to carry the burden of alertness Mm. yourself but when you're in community and groups you share the load but you also Mm. share the burden of alertness and that leads to lower stress so there's a excuse me (coughs) there's a physiological thing and this is why there's such a close link and no doubt the research there's a lot of research around isolation loneliness but Mm. as we you know the last few years we've had with um, the restrictions and whatever is going to no doubt reinforce a lot of that The thing is, and I think coming back to, I guess, my experience as a man and I haven't uh, talked to a lot of men, is that that is an area that you're conditioned here to not not appreciate or articulate emotion. So I, I think there's a limited vocabulary of emotions. that I'm speaking general, but I know for me and many of us that we don't have that wide range of vocabulary yeah. for emotions. And that's linked to how we experience them or how we have in our cultural upbringing, allowed ourselves to experience in them. Yeah. So that asking for help in particular or receiving help or being part of where you, you give and receive support, easy, well, given is probably more of a permissible thing that a bloke can yeah. do. Receiving it is different. It is something that actually there's a there's a, a counter, counter force to that innate need to work as part of a community and be part of a community. Yeah. There's a counter thing and that's part of this identity shift so what any particular tips because i think it's important just to recognize you, you talk about some of the tips anything that can be particularly useful because i still catch myself with that and there's times when i think oh you're an idiot dave man what are you doing just just stop there'll be somebody yeah. who's who, who knows the answer to this you know mm. <laughs> and that kind of thing is still a drive there yeah and and i i yeah i love what you're saying there because it massively resonates with me i mean i i, I talk about midlife stuff i i obviously you know got a more female centric um obviously because funnily enough i've been a woman all my life um and um 
but I actually have this massive passion around trying to make it easier for men to talk about their feelings, to, you know, to, to communicate. Um, I'm particularly passionate in terms of like young men, because I think suicide rates, it's, it's just devastating. Um, I mean, at all ages for men, you know, but, you know, particularly young men and this whole idea that we just need to man up. Um, and, you know, and suppress those emotions. Actually, it doesn't do men or women any good because oh. the men suppress those emotions and, and a bottle and a whole load of things up. And then women, dare I say, it, are left living with these men. You know, I, I've had a couple of conversations recently where I said, I'm really tired of like having to try and cope with men who are basically little boys in big boy bodies because emotionally, like we, we don't encourage men to mature um, in the same way. Um, because they don't, they suppress those emotions. And like you say, therefore their experience of them is completely different um, as it is. And again, you know, it's generalisms, I know, but, you know, for most men versus like most women. Um, and so we, we create problems for ourselves. So I, I think as women, we have as much responsibility as men do to try and make that better and, and bring, bring our men up differently um, in order to make sure that, you know, emotions are fine um, for them. But I think in terms of that, you know, asking for help, you know, the tips around that um, for me is in the first instance, be really clear about what help it is that you need. That's the first thing, because quite often, you know, and, and I know that's not always possible, but be as clear as you can about the help you need. And then say to that person, this is the help I need, because the reason that we get a no if we ask for help and therefore we get a no if we ask for help it then makes us afraid about asking for help again in the future because we fear rejection you know etc cetera, etc cetera. so the you are much much more likely to get a yes if the person you're asking for help from gets what help you need because they can then make the assessment can i help you whereas if you're woolly and vague and not really asking it directly they'll instantly go i don't think i can be successful and if the other person thinks they can't be successful in helping you, they'll say no. So help them to see that they can be successful in helping you by being really clear about the help you need, because that's why you'll get a no is if they, you know, because people don't want to fail. So if you're setting that person up to at least perceive that they might fail by not being clear about the help you need, they, that person will turn around and go, I, I think I might fail at this. So I'm going to say no. Um, but if you actually are really clear and go, the help I need is this, they are then able to go, yes, I can help you. So you're much more likely to get a yes because they're clear that they can succeed. The other thing is as well, though, is then if they can't help you, um, they're also then quite clear about that. But then they might be able to refer you to somebody who can. Mm -hmm. It's like I'm really clear about what you need. And you know what? I don't actually have that skill, but I know this person who does because I'm clear about it. And it's a lack of clarity more than anything else that gets a no when it comes to asking for help. And I know that in the end, the end of the day, there's still got to be that courage to actually ask for help. But the other thing is, is the mindset shift um, that I try and get people to make is actually consider asking for help as a reciprocal act of kindness. And what I mean by that is that if you think about somebody that you love and the last time they came and asked you for help, it might be a friend, a family member, a work colleague or whatever, but somebody that you care about, you know, not, not in love, but somebody that you care for. And the last time they came and asked you for help, think about how did that make you feel? And actually, 
it gives us kind of a warm, fuzzy feeling, doesn't it? Because what they're actually saying to you is you have skills, capabilities that I value. And actually being asked for help makes us feel good mm-hmm. because we're going, oh, that's actually a compliment. That person is telling me I have something of value that they need. And that makes me feel good. So actually, if you go and ask somebody for help, it's a real act of kindness because you're saying to them, I value you. So why the hell wouldn't we go and ask somebody for help if that's the impact it has on them? And of course, we all know those people that ask for help all the time. They never reciprocate. Give them an inch, they take a mile. Of course, we can all come up with those examples. But for the most part, again, I go back to if it's somebody you care about, a work colleague, a family member, a friend, whatever, when they come and ask you for help, you feel good. So why don't you go? We all go out and make other people feel good by asking them for, for their help and what we value about them. Yeah, absolutely. And you, as, as you were talking there, I was thinking, you know, one of the, um, we're, we're going to have to do a part two here, mine, Carolyn. <laughs> go you know, on I haven't even scratched the surface, but I was thinking about <laughs> the, the, the conditioning in a sense that, um, and I don't know for me, perspective but you know no, no, in the conversations that get to this with mm. with other blokes friends etc is that there's very much a drive to be an archetype of a hero yeah because that's who we are brought to admire the warrior the hero you know look at all the marvel comic kind of things oh, and they're yeah. all there to help to rescue to protect to save mm. to be there to be the strong to be the this yeah, yeah. and um but if you watch a lot of those films, the complexity and the thing that pulls you into the films and any story is that they all of those go on their own journey, don't they? Yeah. And there's the richness of some of, the, of those stories, the better stories, the rich ones, have mm-hmm. that dimension of them realising their vulnerability and actually that you know they need support, et cetera, and, and having their yeah. low points. And I think sometimes we can forget that in this mm-hmm. almost admiration, even worship of those kind of characters that we look at the strong, the this, the that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's something that uh, without, you know, you can't get away from it. There's a drive there to want to be that for somebody or in some respect in our life, perhaps, you know, there's a lot about searching out what our identity is and where that plays into it, but recognizing that there's a whole lot more, there's a whole lot more to it. And actually delving and learning that vulnerability isn't a weakness. You know, as Brenny Brown talks about, um, that's a hard thing to get (laughs) as a bloke, I think, as a possibly for anybody, but I think, vulnerability you know this kind of thing um but that's part of the journey of this identity thing as we go um, yeah through it Hmm. yeah and i i and i i love the fact that you've talked about the superhero thing because i i I did a talk once about exactly that is that you know you say about superheroes and immediately it says they're strong they're brave you know and all these things but actually you dig under the surface of those superheroes firstly they've normally got their superpowers as a result of something catastrophic that's happened. Hmm. So they've usually gone through some kind of crisis, which has then made them stronger. Hmm. So that's the thing in the first instance, you know, they have some kind of moment, some unfortunate event that happens that actually, you know, you know, what's it? Peter Parker's bitten by a spider, isn't he? And, you know, they've always, they've usually gone through something horrible that's, that, that's resulted in the superpowers in themselves. So actually we need to remember that we go through the difficult stuff and it makes us stronger. Um, you know, we've had a weakness and a vulnerability. It makes us stronger. 
But also you're right. You know, you actually look at that, like the hero's journey of it. And there's always struggle in there. You know, there's always like an internal battle that's going on for them that usually results in um, as well, you know, like you say, some vulnerability. And actually quite often they do end up needing somebody else's help. And quite often it can be a person that isn't a superhero. Um, I mean, you look at Superman, he he actually, a lot of the facilitation of, of, of making him successful actually comes from Lois. Mm. It's actually the woman um, that actually, you know, actually brings something to his life, brings some meaning, you know, and, and facilitates some of what he he's able to do. So you're right. We don't peel, a, a, you know, behind those layers or, or spend enough time thinking about that stuff. And the reason for that is because inevitably we simplify our world in order to understand it. And so that we don't, you know, our brains don't get blown by all the myriad of, of information. So that's why we compartmentalize and categorize stuff and simplify it and go superhero, brave, strong, done, um, so that we can understand the world. But yeah, all of those superheroes have usually been through some kind of crisis, some difficult event is the thing that's made them strong in the first place. Which is, which is a, it's a, it's the creating of a story that's compelling that comes mm-hmm. back to the universal, I think, for, me, for us as human beings. You talk about the hero's journey, you know, um, Joseph Campbell's talk yeah. about the, the hero's journey is that disorienting dilemma that starts with something that happens or something that surfaces that leads you to go through your own crisis or challenge or whatever. So you, you do battle with, you know, in, yeah. the, in, the, in the story, but in life, you, you do battle with your inner demon, your inner voice, that narrative, the stories that you tell yourself that are holding you back. And then you come out the other side different, yeah, changed, stronger, and all of those things, and and that's what fascinates me about this whole thing. In my own life, but also that's why I love to talk about the narratives and the stories that we tell ourselves. And, and yeah, and we could we could delve into this so much more. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it, but I'm conscious of time. Um, so I guess if you're up for a part two, then let's sort. Yeah, yeah, out. definitely up for a part two. I've always got lots lots to cover. But I guess. Uh, you know, we talked around your journey and 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 the work that you do. Is there anything that you feel you want to just kind of share in terms of whether it's tactics, tips, or approaches that would help people who are kind of maybe resonating with some aspects of this? They're on mm-hmm. that journey, um, and then give a shout out to some of uh, you know the some of the work that you're doing, etc. Yeah, sure. And you know, for me, um, you know, the like I said, the book that's coming out, and then the supporting materials around it is my self model. Um, and you know the the elements of, of self. So the S stands for seeking. Um, the E stands for expression. The L is for love, and the F is for fulfill, fulfillment. And it is actually a. I mean, nothing's absolutely truly linear, but it is a, a sort of progressive um, model. But I guess coming back to the tips around that, then um, the the seeking part is all about understanding where you are. And, you know, it's there's so much in terms of, you know, so much out there, which all of which is great and important. And it definitely forms part of um, the model and the steps of that model of like understanding where you want to get to. But actually, first and foremost, you need to start with where we are, because you can't set out on any journey unless you know exactly where you are right now, because otherwise the the, the roadmap is mean, meaningless. So, you know, my sort of hints and tips for anybody as a, as a bit of a shorthand is is actually to spend some time understanding that um and one of the exercises i you know i do is um to get people to to do what i call the the you know see hear and feel exercise where you just 
step back and take a look at your life today and say, okay, if you close your eyes and think about your life today, like what is it that you see? You know, what are the things that are around you? Um, How would you sort of describe that landscape in terms of what you would see? And then the next one is about then, you know, shut off everything else. And like, what is it that you hear around you? So what are the voices that you have? Is it quiet? Is it noisy? You know, what, what is it that if you, if you sort of, you know, go into hearing mode, you know, what, what is, what does that sense sort of ignite when you, you immerse yourself in your current life? Um, and then finally, what you feel. And I think that's the really, you know, for some people, a really hard one. I think for guys, it's the really hard one. But it's actually just taking that time to sort of go into your body and go, what emotions does my current life evoke in me? Um, and again, you don't have to share that with anyone else. So it doesn't matter what you write down, whether you write it down or you don't, because that's also the other thing is that we fear that somebody else will find that out or we'll be embarrassed or exposed you don't have to share any of it. You know, you can write it on pieces of paper and obviously as long as you do it safely, you know, burn it when you've done it so that you remove all evidence, you know, doesn't really matter. But actually I think it's really important just to do that see, hear and feel about your current life and just understand where you are right now. And it might take more than one go, but do it, leave a bit of a gap of time and then go back and revisit it and just see, you know, really clear out um, what comes up for you because no journey can start unless you know where you're starting from yeah, absolutely and I, I, it's a it's a brilliant it's it's a brilliant starting point isn't it to kind of go mm. right where i'm at what what are those feelings and and i think you're right in terms of the articulation of the feelings like for for me it was i would i didn't have any nuance to it it was just like an unsettling feeling that said is, yeah. is, is there more and that's enough you know you start yeah. there you start to build out and then allow the journey to come from that and and i guess yes it can be scary but it can mm. also be an amazing adventure uh, you know to encourage people and, yeah. and to step out you don't have to do it all or nothing as i talk about in so many other podcast episodes you can take these steps and allow time and life to also take care of a lot of things as you go forward and yeah. get help get support yeah exactly and i think the thing is is that when you spend that time because you're right if you've got a really unsettled feeling and it's scary and it's whatever you know because so much of what i come across with people i talk to is that their life isn't right and they just talk about it as like some a, a totality it's a amorphous mass of not rightness <laughs> and actually the thing is is when you spend that time to sort of see hear and feel what you can start to do is peel back the layers of the onion and go where and then it becomes less scary because rather than it being your entire life now i know what happened to me is i kind of my entire life was raised to the ground um you know and i get that in terms of my story but again if your relationship um, whatever that is, is great, then actually you'll sit there and recognize, actually, my relationship's really good. I don't want that to change or disappear. So actually, I can tick that one off the list. That isn't something I need to attend to. And what you start to do is then funnel, where, where do I need to focus um, and, and spend my time and my attention? And again, that's part of um, you know, the model and the, and the steps within um, you know, the four elements of my self model is that it starts to then just focus down about where Am I wanting to, to pay attention? Because that's the thing. If we just feel de- a general malaise about our life, then we think, oh, we have to change everything. And therefore, I'm going to change nothing because all of that's too scary. But yeah. once you actually start concentrating and really looking at it, you can tick off the bits that actually either they're maybe not perfect, but they're fine for now. Yeah. Um, or it's like, actually, that's absolutely fine. I wouldn't want that to change. And you can put them to one side and then go, actually, it's really just this one thing over here or these couple of things that I do need to make some changes to. And I can start to plan for that. So that's why it was really encouraged people to go, 
let's have a look at what where I am right now because you need to write down to the positive and the negative you know how that how that feels and it then suddenly becomes so much less scary because it's it's no longer eating the elephant all in one go yeah classic sprout sweating slice the cabbage down into bits yes mark the cabbages yes. that you don't want to change for now or that you're happy with etc focus yeah. on the one thing and the next few sprout size actually brilliant yeah. okay well great carolyn i appreciate your time and we've had a, a brilliant conversation and i would love to come back to because there's, there's lots we haven't talked about <laughs> there's lots <laughs> of work made and the, you know so we, we'll have to sort something out but um thank you very much thank you for sharing your experiences and your less your learning and your approaches to helping people and hopefully there's a lot of food for thought pun intended for those uh, out there who who maybe have resonated with some of these things um we will put links in show notes for your books, et cetera. But where can anybody get in touch with you if, you know, for ease of just sharing their thoughts or asking questions? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website, which is um, carolynhobday.com. Um, and similarly, if you want to find me on social media, then you can find me on Instagram, again, Carolyn Hobday, um, same on Facebook. But I also have um, a Facebook page and an Instagram business page um, that is called Redefining Selfish. Um, so again, if you find Redefining Selfish on Facebook or Instagram, you can also contact me through there. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thank you for your time. And listeners, I hope you've got a lot out of that. And any questions you can, as you see, you can um, get in touch with Carolyn or myself at Dave at RestlessMidlifer.com. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Take care. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Restless Midlifer. For more links and details relating to the episode and the show, visit RestlessMidlifer.com. And it would really help if you go to the show in your podcast app, click on review, and then rate the show and share why you value it. Until next time, proudly live your own restless midlife. Take care.